Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. We're excited to be here today on Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady. My co-host is Lou Weiss. We're going to be talking about several interesting subjects today. We're going to be talking about workplace violence. And interestingly enough, some of the aspects that people may not realize are workplace violence. In our first segment, our second segment, we're going to be talking to the New Jersey MEP Chief Operating Officer. And then Lou and I are going to wrap up some of the show with some commentary at the end. But before we get to all of that, let me get to Lou, who's got our postscript from last week's show and some news items. Lou, how's the weather in New Jersey? Uh, great. I'm still wearing my Hawaiians, and it's February. So uh, I think we're done with winter. Done with winter. So, by the way, I'm in favor of workplace violence. I think it's appropriate at times. Only kidding, everybody. Only kidding. Uh, okay. Who's so, the resident comic on the show? So, just so everyone knows. I don't know. I don't hear. We have to have a uh, a the phony laugh that they used to do on TV and radio shows. Right. Yeah, we'll have to talk to our engineer about that. You know, just as a goof. Anyhow, uh, last week's show, uh, for those of you who didn't uh, catch it, and shame on you, uh, we had our global show with our international correspondents. We had Roy Slow reporting from France, Chung Wang reporting from uh, Shanghai, China, and Norbert Orr reporting from the United States about 18 other nations. So yeah. with all of <laughs> With all of that, I think we just about covered the world. Um, the good part about it is that uh, the report uh, is all uh, very positive, except for poor Brazil. Uh, but, you know, Brazil will go the way Brazil goes. Uh, <clears throat> I understand that they have issues about uh, corruption and crime and so on. So until they get that ironed out, uh, they'll never be above the 50 50 uh, point uh, marker. Uh, the show is interesting. Uh, great uh, facts, facts that you will not hear on Bloomberg. You will not hear it on CNN. You will not hear it on Wall Street Journal. You won't hear it anywhere except at mfgtalkradio.com. Uh, some news items. Actually, the news items I have basically is uh, what's going to be the hot news for 2017. Um, it's uh, it's going to be uh, a rock and roll year. Uh, I do have a couple of points to kick off with first, and that was uh, you know about unions in, in this country. Uh, here's a bad sign for the union uh, world. Uh, Lockheed and Boeing plants, one in South Carolina and one in uh, California, uh, voted this week to keep unions out, O-U-T. Well, that's at least running in, in, in line with uh, President Trump. President Trump tomorrow is having a meeting uh, of business manufacturing business leaders. This is the second one he's doing. And uh, Richard Trumpka, who is the AFL-CIO union president uh, and president of 55 uh, related unions, was not invited to his second meeting. 
That's saying something. I don't want to say what it is because we try not to get political. So we're going to leave that one out. But regarding uh, the topics that are going to be coming up, that are going to be the hot issues for 2017, much of it is still the same as the last year, except I think it's going to get more intense. Um, Politics, of course, uh, as it relates to manufacturing, uh, there are mainstream News shows that are now beginning to talk about manufacturing, and that's only mainly because President Trump is jamming it down their throats and that they have to talk about it. Uh, But skill gaps and skill training is going to be a bigger than ever issue. We have 10,000 people a day in this country retiring. Uh, That's going to increase the skill gap even more so. And the story about bringing jobs back from overseas, that's, that's a great myth, won't happen. Uh, so we need to train the people here, get the kids involved, get them to take a different career path than college and come out earning $40,000 as a uh, welfare, uh, welfare or social worker, earning forty grand a year. That's not going to really do it for them. Robotics is going to be really, really hot. Uh, Many of the retail outlets, uh, like restaurants, uh, McDonald's, Target, they're putting robots in the aisles. Um, Cybersecurity, another big issue, especially what's gone on with uh, Russia uh, and our election. They're very, uh, very keen on uh, cybersecurity. And matter of fact, we have our own Adriana Sanford, who's uh, a five degree or four degree attorney on the international level and she's going to have her own uh, segment on our show uh, very shortly Um, next is the drones uh, driverless cars is a good one improved productivity goes right to the bottom line and that's where people are really going to be making money by having improved productivity by new technology, by robotics, and things of that nature. Here's a good one. Should the B2B manufacturing market really care about their customer experience? Are they going to have to change their attitudes? Or are they going to continue to treat their customer like, you know, third-class citizens? Um, you know, my wife and I have a story that when you become a regular in a restaurant and you walk in, they hand you a, a menu and they go say, go sit over there. That doesn't really work well. And that's what's been going on in manufacturing in this country. Also, there isn't, uh, hasn't been a lot of interest in how to make the customer love you as their vendor. I think that's going to be a very big issue. And if it isn't, we'll make it one. So that being said, uh, Tim, back to you. Interesting topics to talk about in 2017. Uh, Here's an interesting topic for 2017 and going forward, and that is workplace violence. We are pleased to have with us Felix Nader, who is a certified security consultant and a, a security management consultant. He was certified by the International Association of Professional Security Consultants, he works with Nader Associates. Felix, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure, Tim uh, and Lou, to be here with you. 
We're thankful to have you here and talk about workplace violence and some interesting. We, you and I had a pre-show conversation, and I, I actually learned a lot about uh, uh, workplace violence and what constitutes workplace violence. So I'm sure you're going to tell our uh, listeners uh, what some of those points are. So take it away, Tim. Uh, Felix, why don't you give our listeners an idea, because they know everybody thinks of workplace violence as some uh, disgruntled individual walking in the front door with an AR-15 and starting to take out employees. That's the worst-case scenario. But there are other uh, forms of workplace violence. Can you share those with our listeners? Great starting point, Tim and Lou. Um, Great starting point. I I look at that scenario as a failed workplace violence prevention program. When any employee, former employee, or disgruntled spouse comes to your door to kill you, that means you did something along the way that I either agitated or, or failed to recognize the warning signs of, uh, of problematic situations. But on the way to these aggravated incidents, we have victims of every single day harassment, verbal abuse, name calling, uh, vandalism of properties sabotaging of property, threats, intimidation, harassment, bullying. That's the non-violence, the non-fatal stuff that happens every single day. And you want to know something? OSHA, who tracks this data, uh, every year almost consistently records about 2 million reported incidents. 2 million. But I say, what about the million others that don't get reported because people don't want a bullseye on their chest? It's incredible. And you come to a workplace that's a microcosm of our society. Boy, yes, that, sound, point. Yeah. that sounds horrible. Are we talking about yeah. our country? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we're talking about our great United States of America. It's, you know, people who in, in their societies come to work, and they come to work with their issues. Now, just to give our listeners an idea of Felix's background, Felix was the Postal Inspection Service's public information officer on August 20, 1986, when letter carrier Patrick Sherrill entered the Edmonton Post Office, his place of employment, and wounded 14 and killed six before committing suicide. So Felix knows that of which he speaks. Yes, Uh, Felix, what was that day like? Well, you have to imagine, I was the agency's first ever law enforcement public information officer. At that point, public information had been handled by the Office of the Postmaster General. All Mm -hmm. of the regional chief inspectors knew I was in that office, but because I was a newbie and totally inexperienced in what I was hired to do, it was like, just collect the information and don't deal with the media. We will take care of the media. It was total disaster. The Postal (laughs) Service had never experienced anything of that magnitude ever, ever before. And we learned through the school of hard knocks how to get better along the way. We learned through the school of hard knocks. Wow, wow. Now, let's talk a bit about workplace violence prevention Mm -hmm. and management commitment. You and I were talking just briefly before the show, and I think you make a very valid point that this is the uh, elephant in the room nobody wants to talk about. Right. So let's talk about it. 
What's what's management commitment need to be, Felix? You know, OSHA in their infinite wisdom uh, developed all this free guidance and an attempt to create voluntary compliance, if you would, voluntary participation in workplace violence prevention. So well designed that a, a dummy like me appreciates where they're coming from because everything is spelled out for anyone who was really, really interested in formulating a prevention program to, uh, to take advantage of it. Management commitment is senior level investment in the prevention expectation of what the workplace needs to do to create a safe and, and, and secure workplace. The investment is once you make that commitment, you've got to train the people, you have to align the resources, you have to procure technology, you've got to make sure the policies and the plans and the procedures all talk the same lingo. Security has to talk with the workplace violence people and, and vice versa, and there has to be an ongoing committed dialogue. At what point, Felix, does this become a, a couple of questions here? Mm-hmm. Uh, what they call a, what they call a C-suite job, like the chief operating officer and the chief information officer, or chief security officer. How big does a company need to be before they, you know, have that kind of uh, person in place? And what does a ten-person company do? Oh boy, uh, Tim, you guys really, really are on top of this uh, program, and I thank you very much. Let me go to the former first. So if, if I were the CEO of a, of a large company, uh, you know, a, a, a Fortune 500 company, I would make workplace violence prevention a, a C-suite attention grabber. I would like to know monthly, where are we? I don't want a surprise turning on the TV, putting on the reading the newspaper, and finding Felix came in the back door that was supposed to be locked and killing one of my employees. So I want to know what's going on, what's the culture of the organization. But I have an approach to the smaller organizations, the 10, the 25, even 100 size employee organizations where you don't really have to have a dedicated person. You could have what I call, as part of my methodology, integration, collaboration, coordination, and education of all of the employees so that we have an environment where everybody knows what workplace violence is, what our mission is in preventing this stuff, and everybody's responsibility through a simple policy that says, Supervisor A, you're responsible when you get a complaint to investigate it. Employee A, when you're a victim, you report it, and these are the consequences for not reporting something you see or something that happens to you because we don't want someone to take the law into their own hands. So it could be as complicated as a four, as a, a large organization might want to develop one based along the the, the principles established by OSHA, or it could be a small effort by a small company that says, look, anybody that has an issue, deal with it immediately, and let me know what the outcome is, and let me know what the consequences as a result might be. So it's got to be a collaboration and a coordination, regardless of what level you might be at. Let me ask you a question, Felix. <clears throat> yes. When uh, you have a situation whether it's a small company or a large company, it doesn't make any difference. And whatever the, uh, uh, the violence is, whether it's emotional violence, physical violence, uh, or what have you, where where is the uh, obligation and liability lie in regards to the uh, company itself? In other words, if somebody is being uh, abused, attacked, uh, violated, what have you, does the company have a legal liability? Can they be sued? 
And yes, they can be sued, and I'll answer it this way. They have a legal, moral, and an ethical responsibility. The legal we understand. Uh, however, depending upon what state you're in, um, injury compensation in the event of an injury steps in and protects the employer from civil liability. In places where injury compensation isn't the law of the workplace violence prevention land, uh, negligence either in training, supervision, security, management can ensue and a sharp attorney based upon the facts derived from his investigation or her investigation could justifiably file a civil liability suit. So it is the workplace's management's responsibility to provide for a safe and secure workplace vis-a-vis -vis through established structure, policies, plans, procedures, and training. So does that also count on where you're having a, an employee being harassed by another employee, where they're emotionally distraught or they can't come to work on a particular day because they were just so emotionally beaten up the, the day before or two days before. Is there, is there as strong of a liability on the company, if, particularly if they don't do anything about it? Particularly, particularly it's a two-part answer. Particularly if they are aware of it and fail to do nothing about it. Um, they're aware of it when an employee says, I am being bullied, I'm being name-called, I'm being harassed, I can't take you know, I can't cope with it anymore, please do something, and they do nothing about it, and some violent event ensues, ensues. if they can be proven to be liable through witnesses and in interviews that, that, are, that ensue, they can be sued for uh, negligence in taking appropriate action. Now, it is important, though, gentlemen, that we do something with the harassment because employees that might be suffering from tinges of mental health or emotional tend to internalize their exposure and their victimization. And when they internalize their exposure or their victimization, guess what happens? Management looks at them as the problem children because they're withdrawing and they're not becoming contributory anymore. So now they have two bullseyes on them, the perpetrator who's picking on them and management who says, you're not doing your job. Why are you withdrawing? Why aren't you coming to work? So it's kind of a complicated mess. Sounds that way. Yes. Uh, so let me let me ask you a question. When you go into uh, one of your clients, or when you go into a speaking to, uh, engagement, and uh, what is your methodology mm -hmm. in establishing a program uh, within an organization? Okay. Well, um, as a consultant, I advise. I, I, I go in and I. If they invite me in, I advise, ask a bunch of questions, try to help understand where they are, and then with their, uh, with their approval, I, I offer a, a host of recommendations that might be get well in, in nature. But I try to get them to understand that sometimes the business culture fuels the conflict. And, and, and people with their issues, people with their emotional issues, people with their mental health issues shouldn't be the brunt of management's uh, targeting just because they can't cope. There, there should, the approach should be, let's do an assessment, both a human resource assessment and a workplace assessment to at least identify what the gaps that you don't currently know that might exist. Let's address those gaps in terms of applying remedies. Let's address those gaps in terms of addressing the employee concerns. By doing an employee survey, you might discover for the first time that Felix Nader comes to work every single day and calls Juan 
despicable names. But Juan doesn't want to lose his job, so he internalizes the, ag- the aggression and does nothing. You might find a mom who just came to work after dad and she agreed that the kids are now finished school, she can go to work, and this aggressor is harassing her sexually, but she doesn't want to lose the job because they have to pay for college tuition. So it's incumbent upon the business culture to create an environment where they understand and it starts from the top. It starts from the top. This is our policy. This is everybody's responsibility. So the consulting approach is let me see where you are now. Let me ask you what it looks like that you want to change and what do you want to look like when we finish this consulting piece. And then as some remedies, I'm going to ask you to develop some policies. I'm going to ask you to allow me to do a face-to-face, on-site, workplace violence prevention training that's segmented. Supervisors and managers get something different than the workforce gets that addresses the issue of prevention from an employee and management perspective. So, as I always say, let me ask you a question. Sure. We have a situation where uh, you have an environment where there's a, uh, a harasser, whatever form of harassment is, is of his choice, mm-hmm. and uh, it's determined that it's not correctable, and you've taken the word of an employee who has been harassed, and now you decide that you're now going to fire this person who is the harasser. Mm-hmm. You're, aren't you subject to the same kind of uh, perhaps litigation for wrongful firing by an employee who uh, has been the harasser? You're, you're, you're expected to be diligent in whatever decision you make, and hopefully that workplace will not take the word of one lone employee over one lone incident, so to speak, to make that mm-hmm. kind of egregious or negative decision on that employee's life. If we mm-hmm. don't do a due diligence investigation, we in fact make that person angry enough so that at the end of that two-year life support cycle and the rubber band pops, he sits at home and says, my wife left me, my bank account's gone, I have no money, I, I'm being thrown out of my home, I lost my car, now who do I blame? I blame that organization who didn't take my word for it and fired me because the good old person had more credibility than I did. It's a serious, yeah, serious can, condition. Yeah, it, it clearly is a difficult spot. Now, uh, Felix, when you uh, first walk in the door and somebody says, okay, Felix, we're going to engage Nader Associates and you're going to do a study on it, I guess the first thing I would expect to find the employer is that the employees who have internalized this don't want to lose their job, also don't want to talk about it with management. How do you get the employee to open up to find out that there's a snake in the woodpile? What a great question. You know, title and rank and status means absolutely nothing. I always say, and I'm very active on social media, I always say find a transformational leader as your consultant. Find an experience-based consultant who has conducted sensitive workplace investigations and empathizes, not sympathizes, and empathizes with the victim employees sufficiently enough to understand that they're not going to want to talk to you. You've got to build that rapport. You've got to build that trust. And only the experience collector and analyst can do that from the experiences in the past experiences in the workplace where victims don't want to talk because they feel you're an extension 
of management. So I'll tell you what we, what we do, and I have a current client in New Jersey. That's all I do for this client in New Jersey. This client has the skill and the what would all to do fantastic internal investigations, but when he gets into a situation like the one you just described, they invite me in to help evaluate, assess, and collect the information that would render an opportunity for them to make a good decision. Employees, when they see me come in, know that I try to be fair regardless of what the outcome may be. They talk to me because I am not working for management. I am working for the collection of the truth. And if the truth results in a manager or a supervisor or employee being disciplined, that's the fact derived from that honest assessment of the situation. So you've got to build trust and confidence. And whether you're a union or a non-union, but I can sympathize with the unions because someone seems to think that just because they, uh, they have a special relationship that they're not favorable or loyal to the organization, so the, the targeting is a lot more aggressive towards them. It doesn't need that to be that way. You could build that relationship with these folks. You've got to build trust, you've got to build confidence, and you've got to build credibility. So when you do do that and you've, you go in and you create the, uh, the, the scenario that you just uh, uh, presented, mm-hmm. what's the success ratio of a company that is uh, clearly having uh, uh, violence uh, on the, in the workplace? What's your, what is the success ratio if you have a diligent group, a diligent management group on solving the issues? In terms of the quantification component of that reserved answer, I don't have a number, but I can give you the elements that go into a success factor that can be quantified. So you have an environment where the employee says, when I report things that I see or things that happen to me, something happens, there's production. We no longer have an employee who is concerned with coming to work and doesn't come to work and is unproductive. There's efficiency. There's high morale. There's free decor. There's reliability, dependability. There's no injury compensation claims for stress. There's low medical uh, uh, payout because he's not claiming or alleging something. There's no civil liability that's ensuing as a result of a, of a lawsuit that's been filed. So there's a host of quantifiable elements that can be applied to mm-hmm. one incident in deriving at how successful our program might be. Right. Got it. Felix, uh, Felix do you uh, have this experience? And, and uh, I did some consulting for many, many years, and sometimes you're surprised when the client asks you to, to do an engagement and then you perform the task and you deliver the report and it turns into an academic exercise because the client decides, I don't want to do it. Uh, uh, that's a lot of hooey. Do you hit that as well in this field where the, the client company says, eh, Felix, I, I don't buy it? Um, yes, I have, but I, I address it right up front, uh, Tim. I address it right up front during the the consultation by saying, mm-hmm. folks, if you invite me in, and if you invite me in to do an assessment of your workplace, I'm going to generate a report. If you don't want the findings and the recommendations of that report to come to haunt you in a civil trial, then you have to adopt the, the, the recommendations <laughs> suggested. <laughs> well said. Well yeah, said. that's very good. That's very good. 
Listen, Felix, give us your uh, website address, uh, email address, uh, you know, where people may be able to look into who and what you are and what what this topic is really all about. Thank you. Uh, My website is uh, www.naderassociates.com, and Nader with a T, N-A-T-E-R. I have a toll-free number if anybody wants to communicate directly with me, and that's 1-877-825-8141. Great. Okay. So uh, Nader at NaderAssociates.com is Felix's email address. Again, the spelling of his last name is N-A-T-E-R. NaderAssociates.com is his website. Felix, we appreciate having you on the show. Important topic. Uh, Glad you went into it for us and kind of fleshed it out for our listeners. We hope that people come back to the show frequently to be reminded of uh, the uh, problems and the solutions. Appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, folks. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, Felix. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. And we will be right back after these commercial messages. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. Now, do I hang up, gentlemen? How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification. Fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason ThomasNet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it. And it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We are speaking with Rob Stramera. He is the Chief Operating Officer for the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Partnership. That's NJMEP. They are working with the uh, NIST uh, out of the federal government, and Rob is going to share with us all of the kinds of programs that are available for the 11,000 manufacturers in the state of New Jersey. Rob, we have had John on the show several times, John Kennedy, but this I think, is the first time you've been on the show. Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you very much. I appreciate you guys having me. Not a problem. Enjoy having MEP. We like we like them a lot. So, being John's been since John's been on before, um, would you? You know, I'm sure he's done a done an overview of of MEP and 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 what we do and what we're all about. Um, is that something you'd like me to revisit, or or? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's get the elevator pitch. Okay. Yeah, so so the Manufacturing Extension Program partnership is uh is a federal program. We're uh we're we're accountable and and guided by uh NIST MEP, uh, NIST being the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and we are a uh a national network of 
centers. There's uh, there's there's one MEP center in in each state and Puerto Rico, and um, really, you know, to to keep it in simplistic forms, our our mission is to support manufacturers with their business in any way, and really, we want we want our manufacturers to to grow, to be competitive, to be profitable, and and um, and and be a force within uh, be an industry that's a force uh, in the country. But here in New Jersey, this is uh, we're that's our mission, and our focus is is just on manufacturing companies within the state. And I know that you've got a lot of programs that manufacturers can take advantage of. I guess all that is at njmep.org. But why don't you share some of them with us? Uh, you know, you've got the NJMAP overall business assessment process. I think this is an interesting place to start. Yeah. So, you know, you know, New Jersey MEP has been has been around for for 20 years now. So, so we've touched or engaged with uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of different companies over over the the, the last 20 years and. Um, we have we have existing relationships and and we're we're constantly supporting uh those manufacturers that know us and have used us in the past but when when we engage with uh w- with a manufacturer who um we haven't had any contact with in the past um our first order of business is to conduct one of our overall business assessments and actually what that is is it's a, it's a tool that we use and that we've developed that basically starts a discussion of um where you know where is that company um where are they with with their business and it is uh basically a, a question and answer session but uh really what it turns into is more of a discussion so uh we get together we being uh um either myself or or any one of our account managers and and pretty much get the the company's uh senior management in 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 a room and um and basically you know we want to spend an hour two hours depending upon where that leads us and and start uh, start uh asking questions and and obtaining information on on the business where are they with management? Where are they with operations? What's their quality system like? Do they have uh, an HR structure in place? This is this is all good information um, for us, um, for MEP to to understand what the uh, what the challenges, what the weaknesses are within the company, and then at the same time uh, start uh, start discussing uh, and 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 getting more details on. Uh, so we could come up with a solution, and um, that is really, in a nutshell, our our starting point. So um, that's a that's something that we do at no cost. It's it's supported by the program, and um, I, really, if even if we do not engage with that client, um, the manufacturer is still going to get. They're going to get something out of out of that assessments process. It's going to it's going to um, stir the pot, so to speak, and, and get them thinking about what they do with their business. So let me ask you, Rob, does that 
this process, does this lead to some type of a training program? So, you know, what what we do from, you know, the, the, the assessment is the first step, and then typically what we do is we take the uh, we take the data, so to speak, that we collect, and what we do is we put together a three-year program, um, which is basically a uh, uh, a, a sequential uh, uh, presentation of 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 the solutions of what we can do. Now, it it could be training, um, it could be some sort of consulting, or it could be um, you know one of our special programs that. Uh, that at the end of the day is going to we're going to be looking at growth or cost savings in in some way, shape, or form. So, does this uh, business growth uh, suite of services are they're all uh, free? Uh, no, uh, actually, our uh, we so so MEP is uh, we we are a uh, private not for profit, but we are uh, we do charge for our services. Uh-huh. Now, so for the some, small for the for the small to medium sized companies, are without asking you to give away the the uh, the company store here, are they uh, reasonably priced so that the small medium sized companies can afford to absolutely. bring in your kind of talent? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, that's that's what we try to do. We uh, we 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 try to provide a price point that is. Um, that is reasonable and affordable for for our manufacturers. Um, you know, this is this is New Jersey. The the business climate is challenging, and um, and our manufacturers are uh, savvy and 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 try to uh, try to keep their costs um, in check. And and we do the same here. I'd like to just share with you for a moment. Uh, this past weekend. Uh, I was down in Cape May, which is the most southern point in the state of New Jersey, where uh, Cape May Brewery, which is uh, last year, was your manufacturing, uh, number one manufacturing company in the state. Uh, And I re-met with the president and vice president of the company. And I'll tell you, Saturday afternoon, it was a beautiful day here in New Jersey. It was 60-some-odd degrees. And uh, beer was flowing like wine. It was quite an event, and uh, uh, my wife and I got to get the tour of the plant and uh, with a couple of other people, and they were really raving about uh, NJMEP. So I, I just want to pass that on to you. That's good to hear. Now, let me ask you this question. Would you have known that Cape May Brewing existed if, if you didn't know they were, they were a uh... – uh, uh, they they won our uh, uh, manufacturer of the year during manufacturing day last year. Not not at all. Not all right. at all. And, <laughs> and he's a very uh, Bob Krill and Ryan Krill. They're both very proud uh, father and son group, and uh, they were really very impressed with uh, what you guys did and what we did. We had an interview with them uh, when they were awarded the manufacturing award for the year. So. Uh, when I was down there, I said, "Wow, we have to go and get a couple of free beers and talk to them, see how they're going." And it, the place was really not to coin a, uh, a, a phrase, but the place was really hopping. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's great. That's Rob, good, good to hear. <laughs> Rob, what are the business growth suite of services? 
so this this is a, a, a you know a special program that we've come up with recently. We we started working on that. Um, uh, I was third quarter of last year, and you know one of the a lot of what we have uh, I guess our engagements in the past have been focused on uh, bottom line growth or, or bottom line services as far as um, process improvement or quality programs and so forth. And what we've been, you know, during, doing our, our business assessments, what, what we've been hearing is that there is a need for uh, focus on uh, top line growth, um, sales and revenue, basically. And our customers are saying, you know, we need we need more sales, we need more customers, and what? So we're, we at MEP re- responded with that, and and we basically said let's let's come up with we we have these uh, these top line focused services, but we don't have them bundled. In a, into a suite of services where we can we can address the top-line growth needs in a systematic way. So those top-line growth services are basically uh, run from uh, top, you know, new product development to um, sales and marketing training, lead generation, website design, those types of things, all with a goal of you know, adding adding to the sales base, adding to the to the manufacturer's customer base, um, so that they can increase their sales and and go after new businesses. So let me let me ask you, Rob. Um, this is uh, your organization is NJMEP, and MEP has uh, locations in fifty states, and I think actually in some states you have more than one location. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that is correct. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so the the format that you're presenting, for the sake of our listeners, just so they know uh, that well, this this information is great for the state of New Jersey. My question to you is: Are your programs uh, the same and or similar uh, throughout the country? Yes, they are, and and like I like I said, we are uh, basically a, a, we're a national network of centers. So, um, mm-hmm. and you know, I mean, manufacturing companies, um, you, you know, they're they're similar to a certain extent when you when you move around the country. Um, you know, of course, there's differences, but what uh, what MEP does is, um, you know, we, we share best practices and, and we communicate with each other in, in different ways. We have, we have um, uh, national update meetings and summits and so forth that where we all get together and, uh, and, and really, you know, at the end of the day, just, just uh, trade notes and, and what are you doing here? What works there? And, and, uh, and you know, giving each other ideas to um, to 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 address the needs of manufacturers. If I'm not mistaken, you have a national event for the, the first one in I think five or six years in uh, Denver, Colorado. Is that correct? That, that's true. In the first week of May, we'll uh, we'll all be getting together in uh, in Denver, 
and uh and part of that is you know is like i said is is going to be presentations on on different topics of of what's working uh you know in, in the different centers throughout the country mhm mhm little too late for skiing but uh certainly is <laughs> a good time to talk about business <laughs> Rob, how about food manufacturers? You know, many of us think about manufacturers as somebody making a, an industrial part or a component, but there's an awful lot of food manufacturing that goes on, I'm sure, in the state of New Jersey as well. Sure. You know, um, so so food manufacturing, especially in New Jersey, where uh, food manufacturing – or uh, some sort of uh, uh, manufacturer that you know could be packaging, it, it, it could be gases, it could be um, uh, chemical. Um, uh, there's uh, there's there's 1,100 uh, what we call our food-related manufacturers in the state. So um, there's a fair chunk that's uh, that's you know that's 10% or so that uh, that have some sort of food focus and. We recognized that a couple of years ago, and you know we're, we looked at the at food as a as a vertical focus for us at, at, at NJMEP, and and we wanted to you know we we wanted to come up with with programs that that are specific to them and and to engage with them um, with our you know our our full suite of services. Now what had happened was. Uh, just recently, uh, FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, grew some teeth uh, in 2015, and um, this is uh, really a, a, a FDA uh, food uh, food manufacturing focused program that that um, that, that really has requirements uh, dedicated to safety and safety and quality in the in the food world, and we recognize that as a need, and uh, we basically came up with a program to address all the requirements of those FISMA regulations. And uh, we have, you know, over over the last year and a half, we've uh, we've successfully engaged with with uh, uh, probably about 50, 50 food companies that have. Um, that have taken to to our our food and FISMA program. Okay. For the sake of our uh, listeners, if they want to get further information on MEP National, uh, where would they uh, look on the Internet for further information? Because this is really very valuable information. Okay, so... So for you know for in, in New Jersey our our website is njmep.org okay and the national uh, and, location and uh the uh national MEP is uh uh www.nist.gov/mep uh, very good. Very good. Okay. I also, Thank you. I also see, Rob, that you have uh, some work or do some work with ISO certification. I know Lou's company, All Metals and Forge Group, is an ISO certified company, has been for decades. Is this something that you help? 
companies achieve and maintain? Is there ISO certification? Yeah, again, based on um, on updates to the ISO standard, recent updates, um, we've been very busy uh, helping helping our manufacturers get up to date with the new standard. Now, ISO updates the 9001 standard is is the basic. Uh, uh, quality standard, so to speak, and uh, that was last. Uh, that was that standard was last updated in 2008. In 2015, they did some revisions to the standard, and and it was th- this this update was significant. Uh, really had a focus. You know, there's still the quality focus um, uh, for for ISO. But at the same time, too, there was more focus on business management systems and how quality relates to that. And then looking at the overall organization and and understanding risks to the business and and being able to manage those risks. So uh, yeah, so so you know the the. the the ISO update and and companies need to be they need to be compliant or certified to the new standard uh, by uh, September of 2018. So that uh, that's been keeping us busy. We've been engaged with with a lot of manufacturers for for that topic. Okay. I'd like to I'd like to make a comment about ISO. Uh, uh, we started with ISO and got our first registration in 1994. Okay. And our primary primary reason for it at that time was to uh, create a a marketing environment that, you know, we had our ISO registration. And what we found very early on is that it really saved our butts in many situations where uh, we did the documentation and all of the things that we need to do for the benefit of the customer, it saved us from many um, bad situations that could have cost the company a lot of money. So we did realize very early on that this was an excellent and maybe the only excellent uh, quality program uh, on a global basis. So for our listeners, I just want to mention if you're uh, not ISOed, and uh, if you're thinking about your quality system, that ISO is very much uh, a uh, incredible program that can save your company a lot of money and uh, improve your methodology in the way you uh, uh, produce your products. Right. Hey, you know, exactly. ISO is, um, you know, m- many companies uh, seek the ISO certification because it either because it is a uh, it is a marketing uh, tool for the company or sure. It's it's a, it's a requirement by their customers. You mu- you must be ISO certified. But in the pro- at the, at the same time too, even though it's 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 quality focused. It, um, it the, the the requirements of the standard um, m- make you look at the way you conduct your business and and uh, as not only as it as it relates to quality but as to the process. So it's also a process improvement vehicle as well. Well said. Well said. Right now, if anyone's driven down Route 202 in uh, New Jersey, you will see some. 
large, long buildings and some of the nicest grass uh, mowed. Uh, the campuses of the big pharma guys. You do a lot of work with uh, bio and pharma and life sciences, uh, Rob? So we, the answer to that is yes, but not enough. And and you know I I mean there there's a there's a, a large pharma pharma presence in in New Jersey, and again we what we've done is we wanted to take a, a vertical focus on a specific uh, market, and just last year last summer we we kicked off our uh, biopharma life sciences uh, vertical focus so. Um, we want to engage more. We, it's, it's basically sitting back and saying, how do we, how do we engage more with our with our pharma uh, manufacturers here in New Jersey, and and what are the what are the programs that that are needed? And um, you know, I, I mean, basically, you know, FDA compliance, uh, you know. Doing audits and and helping uh, helping uh, these you know not 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 just the large companies but the smaller smaller pharma companies because there's a lot of those that are popping up in the state um, helping them uh, become compliant or or uh, you know just just educating them so to speak actually there is the um, there there's the ISO standard that's been updated that is uh, specific to uh, medical devices that's the uh, 13485 standard and um, there's there's been changes to that standard so these companies need some assistance in uh, in getting up to date and getting uh, getting recertified there so Rob let me ask you a question you know I, I think the government uh, US government has uh, gotten a bit of a bad rap about their involvement in manufacturing and uh, maybe some of it is uh, justified, maybe not. But NIST and uh, other uh, Department of Labor, Department of Commerce, uh, who are very much involved in small and medium-sized uh, organizations have been of a great help. Um, and I, I don't know if uh, in, in all of our conversations that Tim and I have had over the last uh, almost 200 shows that we've done, I don't know if the, the marketplace, the manufacturing marketplace is really aware of all the things that the government is doing. And not only the government, but people like yourself, like John Kennedy of uh, New Jersey MEP, uh, that they're aware that all of these services that you've been talking about are available and are relatively inexpensive and uh, will help their businesses thrive in a market that really needs uh, manufacturing to be thriving. Uh, can you comment on that? Yeah, so that, that's a, a perfect segue into something that I wanted to mention with before we signed off here. Um, you know, we do. You know, we are advocates for for manufacturers. So we want to um, we want to educate um, anyone that will listen 
um, how important this this industry is. You know, not in, not only in our state or but nationally. Now we've taken on a, a couple of programs along that line. One is is uh, we've we've called Operation Outreach, and what what we've done is we've we've reached out to. Um, to organizations throughout the state and and ask them to sign a petition and you know with with just a, just an overview of of uh stating the support for manufacturing and and how how important that is and and you know i, I mean we've we we've we've got over 300 signatures in in support of of this effort and also that that is going to lead into um a, a two events that that we're going to have it's actually the same event but we're going to have one in the north uh northern section of uh New Jersey in Florham Park and then we're going to have another event down in Trenton uh those dates are uh March 29th and March 30th and um this is uh it's we're calling this this the state of the state um we're getting um we're getting our man- manufacturers to attend this event, and we're inviting legislatures uh, so they can they can hear um, from our manufacturers directly uh, their challenges, their needs, and and uh, and and hopefully educate them, and which is going to lead to future support. There is a point that I'd like to make to our listeners because I don't think. A lot of people are fully aware of the importance and the backbone that manufacturing brings to our country. If you go upstream and downstream in terms of manufacturing, it represents approximately one-third of our economy. It's a huge number, huge number. So it's really important for you to understand the value of what the states and the federal government is doing to um, promote manufacturing, and uh, it's 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 a good thing what NJMEP and the other MEPs are doing, and and we thank you for that. Thank you. I, you know, it's 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 vehicles and, and organizations uh like like yours that that help us that that partner with us and 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 get that get that word out of of uh of what manufacturing is all about and and uh and and, and casting a good light and 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 really a, a positive attitude towards uh towards this industry without a doubt any time that we can help uh any of the orgs and we're involved with a lot of them uh, anytime that we can help NJMEP, uh, Tim and I are here to do that. Gentlemen, I appreciate it very much. Rob, we always find it helpful for our listeners if you can share your name, title, email address, you know, how to get a hold of you folks, uh, if you would just share that with our listeners. Sure. Um, actually, if uh, e- easiest if, if you went to our website, njmep.org. And um, if you, if there's a there's a team tab there there where you can find my conf- uh, contact information, but let me just uh, spell out my email address. It's rstramara, r s t r a m a r a at n j m e p dot org. 
And that was easy telephone. for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> and gonna, there's a there's a rewind feature, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> and our telephone number here is nine seven three nine nine eight nine eight zero one. So if if anyone has any any questions or needs any information on on manufacturing or our organization, feel free to contact me. Love to talk about it. Rob, thanks very much for being on the show. We greatly appreciate it. And anytime Manufacturing Talk Radio could be of help, uh, you know where we are. MFGTalkRadio.com. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. We've been speaking with Rod Stramera, who's the Chief Operating Officer for the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Partnership, or NJMEP.org. If you'd like to get a hold of him, go to NJMEP.org and uh, check out their website. And we'll be right back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Yeah, we're back. Uh, Breaking news for tomorrow. We're having a special show. Um, the Brad Holcomb Show, which would normally be held on the Tuesday, uh, the first work day of the new month, but unfortunately the first day of the new month is on Wednesday. So Brad Holcomb, who is the committee chair for the Institute of Supply Management, is going to be coming out with the uh, PMI number. And uh, I checked with my uh, Las Vegas bookies, to check and see what the odds are on the fact that the number is going to go up from 56.0 of last month to some number higher than that. And um, the smart money is on the upside. So that being said, tomorrow's show will not be at 1 o'clock. It will be at 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. And now to Tim. Everyone tune into that show. Uh, we actually have about 20 minutes with Brad. Most of the media outlets get two minutes or less. So we're glad to have uh, Brad on the show so he can go into some great detail on that report. That completes our show for today. Be sure to tune in tomorrow at 2 p.m. And also next week we have another Tuesday show. Check back with the, uh, MFG Talk Radio frequently. We are also posting new information as it happens up on that website, and thank you for listening. Bye, all. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.